Hey everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week we're talking to Fabio Akita. Fabio, you want to say hi and introduce yourself? Hi, hello for having me again, Charles, and uh, I hope uh, my contribution to the show uh, is making sense to many programmers. So my name is Fabio Akira, most well known as Akira on Rails on Twitter and social networks. So I've been uh, a Ruby evangelist here in Brazil for the last uh, more than 10 years already. And through blogging and the RubyConf Brazil organization and some small contributions here and there to the open source projects. And uh, here I am. Awesome. We had you on episode 285 of the Ruby Rogues podcast and we talked a lot about uh, RubyConf Brazil and communities and, um, you know, the Brazilian community in general. Um, and I thought it would be really interesting to kind of go back and kind of get down to the roots of, of where you come from and and what what programming really means to you. And so um, I'm just going to start at the very beginning. Uh, how did you get into programming? Right. So <laughs> uh, most people wouldn't know that, but I'm a... I'm actually a node programmer right now, so uh, I started programming, it was the late 80s, so it was a long time ago, and particularly, it was a difficult time here in my country, in Brazil, because we had laws restricting the the uh, uh, import of technology outside of Brazil, so it was very difficult to find materials and uh, references to study and I was just a kid, and I started, I believe, like many others, using uh, simple tools like BASIC. And the whole idea of being able to control a machine, and we had lots of sci-fi in that era, uh, it was kind of uh, an interesting idea, and I loved that, that sense of control over coding. So that's how I really started with doing, doing simple programs with BASIC. And over... Over my, uh, when I was a teenager, my uncle was working as a software, a software consultancy, and he introduced me to other legacy tools now like DBase, Clipper, FoxPro. So I was doing small business programs when, when I was in my, I don't know, 14 or 15, 15 years old. Uh, and from there, I pretty much uh, found it natural to keep on uh, consuming more and more about computer programming. And when the, by the time I was uh, trying to choose what to do in college, I naturally decided to do a computer science course. And that's how I really started. Awesome. So, yeah, so you kind of fiddled around with it as a kid, and then um, you actually went to uh, college or university. Yeah. And studied computer and that, science. And that was 1995, I believe. Uh, and that time, at that time, uh, I was I was really trying to figure out what exactly in the uh, computer era, uh, computer area I would like to do. And after a couple of years, actually, 1995 was interesting because we had Windows 95 coming up. We had uh, several new stuff coming up like Netscape, the internet, the web was just uh, beginning at that point. 95, we saw Java 1.0, uh, JavaScript 1.0, Delphi 1.0. There were, there were a lot of new stuff that are used up until today, and it was 
a boom in technology at that time, and the dot-com era was starting. If you don't, if, if you don't know about the dot-com era, it was a big bubble of uh, technology investment, much larger perhaps than what we see today uh, in terms of the uh, velocity and the, uh, the aggressiveness of that era. So I was a young college student in the midst of that. Uh, of all, all those new technologies coming up. So it was a very exciting time, but also it was very confusing f- uh, for a young programmer. So uh, how did you wind up getting into Ruby? So when Ruby, it was in the more recent years, and when I say recent, in the last decade. So by the time I got to Ruby, it's been like 15, almost 20 years of of uh, programming uh, in my career. So I've been doing lots of stuff in the uh, cor- corporate area mainly. Uh, back from 2001, 2002 up to 2006, I was doing SAP uh, consultancy, doing very, very uh, n- not so pretty coding with a programming language called ABAP, which feels like COBOL, so it was not that good, and some integrations with Java and J2E. So it was very bureaucratic. Uh, the kinds of projects that we uh, end up with were very convoluted. And when Rails uh, came up in 2005, uh, it was actually showed, uh, if you remember the 15-minute a blog video that DHH made back in 2005. It was actually delivered in a conference here in Brazil in Porto Alegre uh, called Fizzly. And it was recorded there. And when we saw what, what DHH was doing, it was pretty obvious that it was a very different approach to what we were used to do because at that time, it was normal to think that we should engineer everything to be as flexible uh, as they should, as they could. So, what if we need to add a new integration here and there? And the Rails approach was totally the opposite. Like, mm-hmm. let's do the very basics uh, right and make uh, the like uh, make the coding visible, like the uh, scaffolding stuff and the all the uh, conventions that Rails uh, brought to the table. Instead of making everything. Uh, exposable and everything um, composable. Uh, it was a very small core that did write uh, what took us weeks to do. It did in like a command line. So uh, it was very different. And because of my involvement in the dot-com era, uh, I was very keen on the idea of not having too much code to maintain because People want to iterate fast, and it's not code that should last for 30 years, like in a, I don't know, in a flight uh, control room or something like that. It was something that needed to iterate very fast, and the more layers, the more, um, the more explicit controls you add, the more difficult it becomes. And the whole idea of convention configuration of having a very simple uh, set of patterns that people understand and making a a convention that it's reasonable. I thought that 
that that make our that made our work very much uh, a pleasure to do instead of a hassle. So this whole notion, after years of doing J two E style programming, felt felt like uh, something that I've never seen before. And if you add Ruby to the equation, the language itself was very uh, it was very elegant, was very flexible. It was nothing like the Java from the J2EE 1.2 era. So nowadays Java is much better, but back then it was again a hassle to program with. And uh, the notions of the Ruby programming, the enjoyability of programming, it, it was all a good package. It was all too good to be true. So that's why I decided to invest my time in Ruby. That's really, really interesting. So how do you go from that to some of the things that you've done in the Ruby community? For example, um, RubyConf Brazil. Sure. Well, back then, um, I liked liked the idea of Ruby. I liked the idea of Rails. But the point was that Brazil was a very different country back then. So it... Nowadays, it's it's still it's still something like that. But uh, back then, it was all about uh, software cons- big software consultancies or small business companies doing regional software for small clients. So uh, there was nothing in between. And if you wanted a career in programming here in Brazil, you were you were usually trying to uh, enter either a government uh, institution, something like that, or a big corporation. And for something like Rails to succeed in Brazil, uh, there there were zero companies investing. So uh, because Rails 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 was born in a very interesting time. It was the I would call it the renaissance of the startup era. Because after the dot com depression, I think it took like three or four years for the uh, the world to believe again in investing heavily in the internet. And I, by the time Rails was released, Google was just announcing Gmail. Facebook was like two years old. Uh, there were uh, the social network was just starting. So because of Rails, we had Twitter, we had Groupon, we had a whole, a whole bunch of new uh, startups coming up that drove the Rails adoption and the Rails evolution. So Rails is very much tied to the um, this new uh, startup boom, let's call it like that. But in Brazil, it was not happening at the same time. It would it would take like three more years for the startup, the tech startups in Brazil to catch up. And so when I saw that, uh, I decided that I should invest my time in Ruby and Rails in working with U.S. companies to uh, understand how they work, understand how they think. So by the time the tech startups in Brazil caught up, uh, we would be able to have more people and uh, the knowledge to uh, drive it forward here as well. That's why we had RubyConf Brazil and uh, events like that to foster this uh, this way of thinking. And I think it paid off really well because in the beginning, it was myself and maybe a dozen developers in the whole country. And three years later, we already had some some hundreds and some thousands of developers. So uh, it was very a very fast adoption between developers that wanted to do... Uh, no, not corporate work, not uh, 
uh, temporary agency stuff. They wanted to do some something else. And Rails was the something else, but we didn't have the market. So it was like a chicken and egg situation. And that's uh, how we struggled the first, I believe, three years of the Brazilian community. And so my work was to uh, blog a, a lot about it. So to uh, create courses to teach people. Uh, I wrote the first Rails book back in 2007. So I did a lot of stuff to make, uh, to make it possible for developers here in Brazil to know that they were not alone and that in time we would be able to join this, uh, this rush in, this gold rush in, in the Rails uh, ecosystem. That's really interesting. And I know we talked a lot about uh, this particular aspect of, of your work in the interview yeah. that we did with the panel. And so I'm going to encourage people to go over there um, because it was really, really interesting just to dig into a lot of this stuff. Um, I am curious, though, what do you feel like was the outcome as far as um, pulling this conference together? Where, do you feel like you were successful in prepping Brazil to take advantage of the the startup uh, movement, I guess, for lack of a better word. Sure. Yeah, uh, and of course, it was not all my my doing. So lots of different people doing different things. We ended end up teaming up together. Uh, and the, uh, the I think the, nowadays the tech scenario in Brazil is much better. So we have very successful tech startups growing and. Uh, being successful here, not only with the help of Rails, but with the help of all the new technology that have been coming up the, the last few years. So um, I think the timing was good, and the the important part of the Rails adoption was not just uh, evangelizing a tool that was, uh, I don't know, using terms like uh, it's faster or it's better, uh, you, should have, you should not use any other tech and choose Ruby and Rails, but I think at least in the beginning, what Rails, uh, well, I think Rails is the model for good agile development, and agile development in itself was difficult to um, adopt in 2003 up to 2005, because you had a legacy of developers doing old style programming, let's say waterfall style, and to change to change that big boat and everybody to adopt Agile was very difficult. But Rails was good because no one used Rails. The risk of adoption, uh, the risk of changing styles was not as big because you were not changing a hundred people team to uh, Agile overnight. So it, it helped it show companies that you could do really good Agile development using a different technology like Rails and be successful at the same time. So the first few years, I think we, uh, we discussed a lot about this this aspect that every, every Rails developer was also a very good Agile developer. So it was not only about tool adoption, but how you change the process of your entire company to become that agile machine that can iterate fast and deliver value as fast as possible with or without Rails. But with Rails, you had that built in into the ecosystem, into the developers themselves, 
And that, I think, served as a model for every other new technology that came after that. So I think that was an important point, not only uh, in my work itself, but uh, on what the Rails ecosystem represents nowadays. That's really interesting. Um, I'm curious, as far as um, the Agile um, approach and just you know using the right tools for the right job and things like that, um, I've, I've read some of your blog posts, especially about specifically tools. So, you know, you've written about how you use Fulcrum and, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the other tools that are out there that are open source. Um, you've even actually contributed to some of them. So you fork them and you have your own versions that do specific things that you found useful. Um, yes. Does this all kind of stem from the same outlook that you had in pulling together uh, RubyConf Brazil? Maybe, yeah. So I think uh, one thing that happened uh, in the last few years about Agile is that in the in 2005, it was a very exciting movement of people trying to do as much as much value as possible out of uh, restrictions. And after after Agile caught up to the whole industry. Uh, it also now became more connected to high, uh, higher fees for consultancies and a lot of uh, empty discussions. And uh, the core of Agile has been diluted, I think. Many Agilists uh, of the, the original Agile Manifesto Agilists uh, are complaining about that in the last few years, like David Thomas, for example. Mm-hmm. And I share some of those uh, opinions myself because I, I have my own consultancy, and I'm I'm seeing consultancies doing the um, were agile advertising just for the sake of advertising to make their fees higher, for example. And I don't I don't like that kind of approach. I prefer to uh, show. Uh, actual results, and by showing results, having better fees, for example, in terms of my consultancy. So I try to avoid as much as possible writing about uh, agile manifesto derivatives or any other uh, article like that. I prefer to focus on the quality of coding, and that's why I love Ruby, because it's in the core of the ecosystem to write uh, good, beautiful code that's testable, that's simple to use, uh, that's practical. And my whole approach with uh, Agile is, I I don't call it uh, a methodology, I don't call it a process, uh, uh, it's just the way we work. And you mentioned Fulcrum. Fulcrum is a very good project that was started a few years ago and it kind of stalled uh, and didn't see any new updates. And when I was looking for alternatives for tools that we could uh, use with our clients, instead of going to the commercial alternatives, I wanted to have an, an open source tool that could encompass some of those concepts. And uh, I really have to, I really have to uh, say a lot of praise to the Pivotal guys because the Pivotal Tracker is a very good tool but most people think it's better for greenfield projects or smaller projects, and I have to agree. And the, what we're doing now is I decided to fork Fulcrum because uh, I not only wanted to do uh, a small refactoring, I was almost rewriting the entire thing, so I decided one day that I wanted to uh, do that, and so I spent like uh, two months 
coding like crazy. If you see my commits in the in the fork, uh, it's been crazy. And I think we reach at a point that's almost feature uh, in feature parity with Build Tracker, and we're almost about to surpass it and going into the Jira uh, uh, and Kanban uh, areas where we will be able to have a very very simple tool that's not as flexible like do whatever you want style like in many Kanban alternatives I've seen and it's not it's also not super configurable again do whatever uh, do everything as you want so I, I really like the idea of having a convention like in Rails for a project process and even though it feels hard in the beginning, I think that's the whole idea of uh, the agile discipline. is not do whatever you want, just make it like a to-do list where you pick stuff from the top. You have to have some guidance, and uh, this tool encompasses some of those guidances into a very easy-to-use software that resembles something like Pivotal Tracker, but that can also have multi-projects, uh, like in a big corporation that wants to use mm-hmm. Jira. And I think this is what this tool is wanting to do right now. And um, I started this alone as a pet project. So I, I developed like crazy on top of Fulcrum. Then we added more developers here at my company called Miner um, to uh, implement new designs and new features, fix bugs. And we are still developing it every day so it's evolving very fast into becoming a tool that I enjoy working with. And uh, for now, I don't intend to monetize the software, so it's not something closed that I want you, uh, people to pay a monthly fee or something like that. I prefer it to be open source right now because I think uh, if the tool is good, over time more people will come up with uh, new ideas so that we can use in our own projects as well, and I hope that can happen. I didn't do a lot of advertising over this project because it's still not at the point that I can uh, that I I want to talk about. But I think it's almost there. So uh, I'll I'll send you the links. If you can the in the description of the uh, interview, we can have the links, and uh, you're, you're all free to uh, check it out. And we have both an open source that uh, the open source repository that you can clone from GitHub and also a hosted version that people can just sign up and start using right away. Very cool. Um, I, I found it's funny because, uh, you know, the third question I usually ask is what contributions have you made to the, the Ruby and um, programming communities? But I, I found that with you, it you, you've done so many things, and you talk about, you talk about a lot of these principles that really come down to, look, this is how we work. This is how we figure out how we work. This is how mm-hmm. we be more productive. This is how we build community. And and so, you know, rather than just ask, you know, what have you done for the community? I, I really wanted to dig into some of these areas. And, you know, and I find that, you know, for example, um, contributing to Fulcrum as you, you have, you know, either you or programmers at your company or even people out in the open source community, um, and then, you know, some of these other tools that are out there and just, you know, just finding those those painful spots where, you know, people are having a little bit of friction with their process for work and then diving into that. 
or looking for opportunities to build the community in such a way that, uh, you know, it can then take advantage of some of these um, movements when they come to Brazil. Um, I'm I'm wondering, because this is the thing that really... Uh, I find so interesting talking to you is how do you how do you look forward and see these things like how do you how do you recognize you know what this is an area that is going to have this kind of payoff like with the startup things or this this is an area of friction because a lot of times I feel the pain but I don't actually realize like where I'm being poked with a thorn right and so how right. do you, how do you dig into the core of these issues and then figure out okay this is how I'm going to solve this for the programming community? Yeah, for me, this is a this is a very interesting point because one example of contribution that I did back in the day uh, when Git uh, remember when Git was not even uh, well known uh, mm-hmm. nobody even know uh, what Git was all about it was 2007 2006 I believe. Uh, GitHub was still a year away. Uh, actually, GitHub was already in the, under development. In the first RailsConf Brazil that I did in 2008, I had uh, Chris Wanstra, for example, here in Brazil, talking about GitHub when it was, uh, I think it was just out of beta. So it was in the really beginning. No one had any idea that GitHub would be the giant behemoth that it is today, uh, and one area that was that was making it difficult for me in Brazil, for example, was that GitHub was a, a hosted um, a hosted tool that a company should have to sign up and have their repositories out of their gates, and for many old school companies back in 2008, that was not a, a possible thing for security concerns mm-hmm. or internal policies. And at that time, there was another tool that I don't remember if it was trying to compete with GitHub. It was called Gitorius. And Gitorius was just for public open source projects. So, and it itself was an open source project. So one thing that I did was to add a private mode to Gitorius so companies could install Gitorius in their companies and use it uh, for private repositories with uh, permissions and groups and stuff like that. And that, that was one thing that I did, uh, some contributions uh, for the Gitorius project. And then I think Nokia uh, decided to adopt the Gitorius for their own internal projects for the uh, SUSE uh, distribution mm-hmm. of Linux that they have, uh, they were contributing to, and it was interesting because after that came up, uh, GitHub came up with the enterprise solution, and after that, GitLab came up. But right in the beginning, uh, I really wanted people to use Git, and not being able to host it internally was an obstacle. So I tried to solve that problem by adding a permissions feature into the project. That was. Uh, that's more or less how I, I work. I, I'm not the kind of coder that uh, I like to do um, performance tweaking and small contributions as well, but I'm not as disciplined as most of the Rails core team members, for example. So my, my attention drifts uh, between subjects very fast, and that's why I'm, I'm probably not a good, uh, I would never be a good core uh, team member. But then I solved that problem, and then I, I, I jump into the next problem right away. 
So then I came up in the recent in the recent uh, months with the fulcrum fork, and I'm probably going to something else uh, in the next month. And I think all, all I mean is uh, I don't predict like what th- things will be. I try to uh, force my way in. For example, I wanted Git to be successful in Brazil. So what should I do to make Git successful? So I wrote a lot of blog posts. I I recorded a Git screencast in Portuguese that people are using up to this day to learn about Git. Uh, I made talks about it. I contributed to Gitorios. I brought Prisma Straw for the Ruby conference. Uh, so I tried to do all these things to at least make sure that I did everything possible to make uh, to help make that option uh, successful. Uh, and I'm not saying that it was because of that, but at least I did my part, I think. In terms of Agile, uh, I also saw the pains of the original Agilist because I was in the beginning as well. And when I see companies and people just doing empty talks without even having hands-on experience with different kinds of projects and trying to make a, a pseudoscience out of it, it really pisses me off a little bit. And when something pisses me off, that's when I decide to act. And then I write a lot about it and I talk a lot about it. I try to show uh, with practical examples and, practical, and evidence uh, what actually should be done. And the difficult part is uh, it, there's no, no, it's not a law of physics that I can prove or disprove uh, and then and get and get uh, finished about it. I, it's something that needs constant. Uh, I, I have to constantly be addressing the issue because things change, the industry changes, and the uh, the landscape of technology changes very fast. And this is why I actually like uh, technology because it changes very fast. And uh, I, I, I'm, I don't like to be in, this, in a single subject all the time. Uh, I think that's how I try to think about uh, all of those things. That makes sense. And, and, you know, back to the question that I asked, which was, you know, how do you, you know, how do you identify these particular issues and solve them? It sounds like you just, get in you you figure out that there is a problem and then you develop a solution to it and so yeah it's sometimes it's funny because uh things feel like they're they're supposed to be in a certain way for example back in in the rails when i started with ruby and rails when i saw the rails way of doing things like uh when dha showed the 15 minute blog which is a very simple app it's a trivial app to build but you can you can take as long as a week to do it in the Java way of uh, 15 years ago, or you can take 15 minutes to do it in the Rails way. Uh, and I, it's actually even not it's not even 15 minutes if you actually want to do a production level application. It's going to take longer, but the whole point is uh, you you have alternatives that can give you orders of magnitude of gains. Uh, without being hackish about it, uh, by maintaining the uh, the elegance and the enjoyability of the programming, not doing it in C or assembly just to make it faster. And I have some principles like uh, 
you can you can do whatever you want in whatever language, but you shouldn't. Uh, that's that's how we come up with the whole idea of using the right tools for the right job. Mm-hmm. It's a cliche uh, phrase, but it, it it's actually the truth. But the problem is the assumption that you know what the right tools for the right jobs are, and that's the difficult part because if if you if you are not exposed to all of those situations or all of those tools. For example, someone that only works for a single company in a single product will will always see all other problems like like their uh, that single entity. So for them, it becomes very easy because they already know the answer. That oh, my company uses this tool. That's why it's better. So uh, in my case, when I came to Rails, it's been already 15, 20 years of programming different areas going from uh, agencies, uh, corporations, the, or, the original dot-com startups. So I've seen many different kinds of use cases, and I had to learn different tools for different things. And many of the tools that I learned do not exist anymore. So I already know that some of, of the things I learned will be disposable in the end. And I don't... I don't uh, I, I think I don't uh, uh, restrict myself into learning new stuff just because it has the risk of not being used uh, in the next five years, for example. I just search into what makes sense for this situation and how how can I be more productive or have more value out of these uh, restrictions that, I, that I'm presented with. And I think restrictions is the key word because people want tech startups because they have infinite amounts of money. But when you have infinite amount of money, you, you don't need to innovate anything because you don't, restrictions, restriction is the thing that drives innovation. And mm-hmm. I think uh, that's how I, uh, I, I restrict myself into finding solutions uh, without having infinite resources. And that's how I come up with uh, contributions to Falcon, contributions to, to Gitorios, having a conference to uh, try to balance the restriction of having uh, tech startups in Brazil. And that's how I, I think I, I think about the, how can I make the, the contributions. All right. Well, I'd, I'd kind of like to tran- uh, transition to this as kind of the last thing we talk about, and that is the comp that you're talking about here um, right. for Brazil. Um, again, you know, you see this pain, and so you go out and you solve it. Um, you want right. you want to kind of explain what the what the problem is, and then what your solution is. Sure, and um, I believe it, it's good to uh, introduce the idea. So, uh, after nine years of doing RubyConf Brazil, I decided that ten years, uh, nine years of RubyConf. Uh, it was actually ten years because the first event was not called RubyConf. So. Uh, it was 10 years straight of Ruby events. And when I, I thought about that, I was thinking, what, what, uh, what's the point of, my, of me doing more, more events, the same events every year? So what I've been doing the past couple of years is to introduce the notion of a Ruby cost that is not, uh, that is not, Restricted to just to just Ruby. Actually, in the last two Ruby calls, we had tracks for every other technology that was uh, coming up, like Elixir, Closure, Go, JavaScript. So, um, 
like I said, I'm not, uh, I don't like to uh, think of myself as my stack or my language. And the, and this is, this is, this was a good concept, was well accepted. We had more than 1200 developers attending the conference. And uh, it will probably grow if we do more conferences like this. But, uh, I think I, I, I decided to do a new conference because that was not the problem that was, I was trying to solve. When I, I was thinking about Brazil, uh, I was bringing, uh, I was inviting many developers from out of Brazil to come here, talk about technology to Brazilians. And in many of the U.S. and European conferences, there were many Brazilians going, uh, attending to uh, speak to their respective audiences uh, about rails, about closure, and everything else. So in, instead of having Brazilians uh, coming because we have international guests, why not the international guests should not be uh, Latin America developers or Brazilian developers that are on the same level but are not as recognized because the, every, every talk they do in Brazil is in Portuguese and so no one in the world are able to actually uh, watch and uh, actually uh, consume that content. So the, it's, the whole point for, my, for this new conference is to make an international conference made in Brazil with Latin America developers being the, uh, the stars of the show, but delivering the talks in English so everybody else can also see that content and recognize uh, what good developers we have in this continent. And I think this was a problem worth solving because otherwise the young programmers in Brazil think that only people from out of Brazil are good instead of recognizing that their own developers uh, are already at the same level and they don't even know that. So we have very, very good con uh, contributors from Brazil to Rails, to Linux, to uh, Git, to many other tools that we deem as high tech that we use every day, but we never know that there are contributions coming from uh, our own region. And I started to think about Brazil, but it's true for Latin America in general. So for example, Elixir, that's the language people are talking about. It's Jose Valin is a Brazilian. Crystal, which is another language that uh, is trying to make Ruby faster in a, in a different, uh, with a different approach, is from Argentina. So we have several good developers here, uh, and I want to make sure the rest of the world can uh, enjoy this content and know where they are coming from. And I think this is a, the first step in an experimental kind of uh, approach. And again, this is a when I saw, when the problem presented itself, it, it it seemed pretty obvious, and then I really wanted to try to address it, and that's why uh, this new event came to be, and uh, I think it's very exciting because it's, again, uh, the first step. Uh, I have no idea if it's going to succeed or not, and if it does, it's going to make, uh, it's going to benefit a lot of people uh, in the entire country, so I think it's worth pursuing. Yeah, that makes sense. So if people want to find out about the conf, uh, what, what are the best ways to do that? Sure. Uh, right now we have the call for papers open, so especially if you're, if you're listening to this and you're a developer here in Latin America, I 
really want to invite you all to go to cft.deconf.com.br. Uh, I think that's the easiest way to reach uh, the website. I'll, I'll have the, I'll send you the links. And uh, I'm inviting people from not only the Ruby community, of course, from every other community. If you're from Clojure, if you're from, if you're like mobile development with Ruby Motion or Xamarin or whatever, uh, we want to hear what you have to say and what are your contributions to the open source or even for. Uh, Things that are not web-centric, I think this is important as well because people are usually, when we talk about Ruby, people think about Rails, and Rails is uh, mostly web. So I also want to uh, join, uh, to make developers from other areas to join, such as AI or VR or even games uh, and other areas that are exciting for programming. And uh, I think this is, a, this is going to be a good place to meet uh, people in different with different backgrounds and learn more about what we're uh, doing here. Nice. All right. Well, um, it's time to get to picks. Is there anything else you wanted to shout out about? Uh, actually, let me see. <laughs> I I should have prepared it a little bit better, but. One one aspect that I've, um, I'm also uh, very interested in nowadays, uh, Rails came up in 2005, right when it was the renaissance, uh, like I said, of the tech startup scene, but also when Apple was just uh, picking up uh, Steam and people were wanting to use Rails plus the Mac, and it was a, a great combo. Uh, but nowadays, uh, Apple is huge, and... Uh, Linux, I think, has caught up, and Windows has already caught up. So two topics that I've been interested in uh, diving a little bit deeper is the uh, new Linux subsystem in Windows 10, which is uh, something that I've, I've been writing about, and the Arch Linux distribution that's, uh, that's growing very fast, and I think it's one of the best distros, and I also wrote a lot about it. So uh, those are two personal picks that uh, I've been uh, digging a little bit these days. Yeah, I'm actually recording this on a Windows 10 machine, and I've been using the Linux subsystem, and it's it's pretty cool. Um, exactly. It's, it's a little bit glitchy, but for the most sure. part, it does, I it think does for a what version I want it to. One, yeah, I think for a version 1, it's, it's more than I expected, and if they can, if they really want to keep evolving that, I can see they, they're going uh, into very interesting scenarios that I really want to uh, approach in, uh, in the future. Yep, I'm actually going to be at Microsoft Build in a couple of weeks, and so I might actually go talk to some of the uh, people who are working on that and talking about it at the conference. Uh, they usually awesome. have booths from Microsoft and you know, experts there that you can talk to. So, yeah, that might be an interesting thing to dig into. Yeah, that's exactly. The, and this is one of the topics that I've been... Uh, very excited about because uh, I'm, I've been using the, uh, I've been using Windows for the most part of the of the 90s, but then I I wanted to switch to the Mac and uh, I switched it in 2004 I believe. So I've been using Macs ever since, but I've always been a Linux also a Linux user for many years and uh, I like how it evolved. It's still not as polished because it doesn't have all the money that uh, Apple or Microsoft have, but uh, because of the Android adoption and the Google uh, push into uh, Linux uh, 
OSs such as the, the Chromebook. I think Linux uh, has picked up some steam again in the desktop, and uh, the GNOME uh, interface is pretty good nowadays. And Arch, mm -hmm. I believe, is the distro that I really like as a developer because I don't have to be hacking my way into the newest versions of Erlang and Node, uh, like in most of the uh, quote-unquote stable distros. Uh, so I think it's a very good, a very good alternative if you want to really understand how a Linux system works. So I really recommend it uh, to uh, take a look. Nice. All right, I'm going to put a couple of picks out there myself. Um, one of the picks that I have that I use all the time, um, and and this is kind of something that we talked about earlier, but I just don't have time to dig into it with you right now. And that is just, I don't have a lot of time to write code anymore. Um, and right. you mentioned that, you know, you've kind of gone that same direction to some degree. Um, but yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm running a business essentially is what I'm doing here and um, putting out podcasts. And um, so anyway, one of the things that I use all the time is Zapier, which is a tool that allows you to um, automate stuff. And so you can right. set up a whole process that it runs through and things like that. Um, I'd be curious to see if there is a Zapier uh, connection for uh, Fulcrum or something like that, or if, if something like that could be made. Because again, you know, just having all of my tools talk to each other is really, really handy. Um, and then one other tool that I'm going to pick, and this is something that uh, you know, as I've switched over to Windows, um, has been really handy. I used ScreenFlow to capture stuff. And mm -hmm. a lot of people use that to capture their screen and things like that. Um, there's a program for Windows called Movavi, M-O-V-A-V-I, um, and it does all the screen. It does all the screen capture stuff you want to do. Um, and so I use it for my team. Like, hey, here's what I need you to do. Uh, here's a quick video. Blah blah blah. And it works really really well for that. So um, anyway, I'm gonna kind of throw those out there. And then yeah, just the the Linux subsystem on Windows is is pretty awesome. Um, and so I'm curious to see what they're going to do with that next. But yeah, um, th those are the things that I'm going to shout out about. Um, if people want to follow up with you, see what you're doing, um, you know, see what you're thinking about these days, where do they go? Sure. Uh, I think the easiest way is to follow me on social networks such as Twitter. Uh, it's uh, Akira on Rails on Twitter, on Facebook as well. And of course, my blog is AkiraOnRails.com. Uh, but uh, please follow follow the uh, social networks. I think I, I I shout a lot of stuff that I never write into blog posts nowadays because I think social networks uh, are all about small small posts in their timelines, and I'm I'm doing that as well. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thank you for coming, Fabio. No, thank you for having me again, and uh, I really enjoyed the podcast. And I hope uh, I hope these ideas can help more people. Yeah, me too. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.